Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, we've got stories about developing plans for Truro's annual Springtown meeting, ongoing friction on Wellfleet's Board of Selectmen, and things going well enough in Provincetown that they're considering dissolving the Public Peer Corporation. And Ira Wood is here with a piece entitled, When Any Day is Likely to be Father's Day. As the town of Brewster plans for the future of the former Seacamps properties, it has found a willing partner in the Massachusetts Audubon Society. The conservation nonprofit will contribute $3.5 million towards efforts to conserve and enhance the 66-acre property on Long Pond and the 55-acre property on Cape Cod Bay. The Brewster Conservation Trust will also contribute at least $1 million to the project, pending voter approval of plans for the properties. Town Manager Peter Lombard said planning committees for each of the properties have finalized their plans, and the Select Board has endorsed their recommendations. The proposals include a combination of conservation and recreational uses, as well as affordable housing. Residents will vote on the plans at the May 11th annual town meeting. The process began when voters overwhelmingly approved buying the sea camps from the Delahanty family at a special town meeting in September 2021. Both purchases were ratified at a special election in October of the same year. Mass Audubon is giving $2 million towards plans for the Cape Cod Bay property that was the main campus of the sea camps. Under the plan, Mass Audubon would hold a conservation restriction on about 10 acres of the Bay property, giving lasting protection to the coastal dunes, pond, and woodlands, where it plans to maintain trails and offer programs in partnership with the town. Mass Audubon also proposes to establish a nature center with office space and to lease three renovated cabins to house seasonal Mass Audubon employees. The remaining $1.5 million would be coupled with funding from the Brewster Conservation Trust for conservation of the Long Pond property. The organizational partnership would protect about 85% of the property under a conservation restriction. Here, too, Audubon would provide environmental and outdoor education, including birding, guided walks, kayaking, and a potential summer camp. Mass Audubon President David O'Neill called the collaboration a rare opportunity to protect the ecological integrity of Cape Cod while promoting nature-based education to the next generation of outdoor enthusiasts. With Springtown meeting season starting to come into view, Truro still needs to vote on the warrant for last fall's special town meeting. That meeting was repeatedly postponed amid a series of voter registration challenges and then moved to May when a huge turnout exceeded the capacity of Truro Central School. The meeting is now scheduled to take place on Saturday, May 4th. The special town meeting warrant will be kept separate from articles for the regular spring town meeting, and the meetings will probably be held on separate days. 
At a work session on February 8th, the select board rejected the idea of holding both meetings on the same day. Board members agreed that back-to-back meetings would test the endurance of participants and also be complicated by the fact that the voter roles for the meetings would be different. The deadline to register for the special town meeting was October 11th. Because the May 4th warrant will technically be the same meeting as the one scheduled for October 21st, after it was continued multiple times, the voter registration deadline for that meeting is still in effect. The annual town meeting, which will likely be on May 5th, will have a voter registration deadline around April 30th. That means there will be people who can vote at one meeting, but not the other. One article on the special town meeting warrant will have to be indefinitely postponed because costs have gone up since October. A $1.4 million debt exclusion to finance a new roof and HVAC system at Truro Central School is no longer sufficient to cover the cost of that project. Department of Public Works Director Jared Cabral told the select board that consultants had advised him to plan for a 10% increase, requiring a $1.54 million allocation. A new debt exclusion in that amount will be added to the annual town meeting warrant. The biggest item on the special town meeting warrant is the DPW facility upgrade, whose cost estimates have not changed. The original warrant from last fall included four different articles connected to that project. The select board had sponsored an article to fund the entire project and a separate article that would finance only the engineering and design work. A third article, sponsored by the select board, would authorize the use of a town-owned parcel on Route 6, for the new DPW building. A fourth, petitioned article on the subject would require the DPW to remain at its current location and direct the town to pursue the design concept of a self-appointed DPW study group. While both town meetings are set to be held outdoors at the Truro Central School, there may still be challenges in accommodating the number of people expected to participate. Town manager Darren Tangeman said that between voters and non-voters, more than 1,000 people could turn out for the two town meetings. Parking and other limitations led Tangeman to suggest that the select board may have to make a decision about whether non-voters would be allowed to participate in the meeting. With the much-discussed feelings of disenfranchisement in town, board members said they felt that non-residents should be able to have their voices heard. A couple of structures will be moving down Route 6 in Truro next week. The two buildings will be moved to a town-owned parcel at 25 South Highland Road. The plan is to put them both into use as housing for town employees. One building will be moved there from 13 Walsh Way and the other from 127 South Pamet Road. The house moving will happen on Wednesday and Thursday, February 21st and 22nd, beginning at 6.45 a.m. on both days, and is expected to last about three hours each morning. The undertaking involves collaboration between the police, the fire department, and the DPW, and onlookers can expect to see an escorted rolling convoy move north on Route 6, with both structures arriving at South Highland Road on February 22nd. Route 6 will not be closed, but delays are expected and drivers are advised to use alternate routes if available. The structure from 13 Walsh Way is among the eight cottages that were on the property when the town purchased it in 2019. 
The South Pamet Road structure was given to the town in December 2023 by Tom and Kathleen Dennis. It was a studio that the town had asked the Dennises to remove when another of the couple's houses was moved to the lot, after it was left teetering on the edge of the bluff by winter storms in 2022. The zoning bylaw allows only one dwelling unit per lot. A couple of people who were considering a run to replace State Representative Sarah Peake have decided not to join the race after all. Although she considered running for the 4th Barnstable District State Representative seat, Chatham Select Board member Shireen Davis said she's decided not to seek the office. Barnstable County Commissioner Sheila Lyons of Wellfleet also said she was considering running for the state representative seat, but announced on February 6th that she would be seeking another term on the county board. Lyons is also a member of the WOMR Board of Directors. In late January, Peake announced that she would not seek re-election when her ninth term was up at the end of the year. Orleans Select Board Chair Michael Herman said that he plans to take out nomination papers to run for the seat, which represents Harwich, Chatham, Orleans, East Ham, Wellfleet, Truro, and Provincetown. Nomination papers for the seat became available this week. Patrons of Snow Library in Orleans will never have to worry about a late fee again. The library first suspended overdue fees during the COVID-19 pandemic. Last week, the Board of Trustees voted to officially do away with the practice altogether. Until last week's vote, Snow Library was an outlier among public libraries statewide when it came to doing away with the fees. The vast majority of public libraries across Massachusetts are already fine-free, while 32 of the 38 libraries in the Clams Network had already done away with fees before Orleans. Originally seen as a means of encouraging patrons to return materials on time, the fees instead have discouraged library use by people worried about what they might owe. By eliminating the threat of fees, the hope is more people of all ages and backgrounds will be enticed to visit the library. At a rate of 10 cents per day, the fines didn't bring much money in and didn't really serve as much of a deterrent. In fact, statistics show that libraries that have gone fine-free actually see more items returned. The vote to get rid of the overdue fees comes as part of a broader review by the trustees of the library's policies, including what materials should and should not be accepted for donation. The policies are also being reviewed in light of broader issues facing public libraries nationwide, especially as more libraries are being met with challenges over materials they choose to make available to patrons. The trustees are considering a policy requiring that a person provide their name and address as a condition of challenging an item in the library. Joan Francolini, the chair of the library's board of trustees, said many times people who issue challenges are not even residents of the community in which they file them. As for the overdue fees, Francolini said even when implemented, fees only addressed a small number of the library's patron base. Most people bring their books back on time. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. The 
Office of Cape and Islands District Attorney Rob Galabois has secured a grant from the state to help the region better address the issue of human trafficking and provide greater support to its victims. State legislators joined local law enforcement officials and those from the district attorney's office for a press conference announcing the receipt of the $97,000 grant, which will be used to provide training and equipment for the Barnstable Police Department to aid in their investigations into human trafficking. It will also fund materials and services to better support trafficking victims through partnering agencies. The Cape and Islands may not seem like fertile ground for human trafficking, but officials say the problem is here and it's growing. Efforts to ramp up the region's response to human trafficking started soon after Galabois took office in January of 23. At an event to raise awareness about the issue at a Hyannis coffee shop, he met representatives from the nonprofit Cape Cod Path, People Against Trafficking Humans, as well as Orleans Police Chief Scott McDonald. McDonald is leading a task force composed of police from departments across the Cape to help improve the local police response to the problem. Some of the grant funding will be used to help Boston-based nonprofit My Life, My Choice expand its services to the Cape. That could include training local agencies on its prevention program or running prevention groups. My Life, My Choice also pairs trafficking victims with survivors. At Independence House in Hyannis, Executive Director Lisetta Herge Putnam said staff at the nonprofit have come into contact with trafficking victims, but that the training and systems needed to support them have not been in place. She said she hopes the grant funding will help Independence House and other agencies provide a more robust response to the problem. The funding will also be used to help Cape Cod Path provide care bags for human trafficking victims. The bags, which will be offered through local police departments, provide basic essentials such as toiletries and clothes to those who need them. Galabois said the funding from the Office of Grants and Research has been available in past years, but only now has the District Attorney's Office applied for and received the grant. He said his office will work to secure additional funding through the office in future grant rounds. By a 3-to-1 vote, the Harwich Select Board this week approved a one-year contract extension for Town Administrator Joseph Powers. Board member Donald Howell cast the dissenting vote, expressing frustration over the loss of numerous staff under Powers' leadership. Over the past year, Howell has expressed his dissatisfaction with the number of department heads and employees who have resigned abruptly, taken positions in other communities, retired, or been let go for other reasons. The select board has spent the last several weeks in executive sessions conducting strategy sessions and negotiations with Powers, whose contract is scheduled to expire on June 30th. Under the agreement, the board was required to let Powers know this month whether he would be receiving a new contract. The new contract is a one-year extension and provides a $20,000 salary increase. On a motion put forward by board member Michael McCaskill, 
the board amended the contract to give Powers a 2% cost-of-living adjustment that members agreed he was entitled to over a five-month period last year, but did not receive. Powers has applied for positions in other towns. He was a finalist for the town manager position in Foxborough, but the job was given to the town's interim town manager. He was also a finalist for the town administrator's position in Yarmouth three years ago. Meanwhile, in Wellfleet, tensions continue to be evident among members of that town's select board. In his final weeks as town administrator, Rich Waldo hired Wellfleet's first-ever town planner and a new town accountant, a position that had been vacant for more than a year. Resistance to those hires from select board member Ryan Curley led other members of the board to accuse him of intruding on the administrator's authority and making Town Hall a place where no one would want to work. Waldo has cited the select board's lack of support as one reason he resigned after just 18 months. According to Wellfleet's charter, the town administrator is responsible for appointing department heads and other staff. The select board may disapprove a hire within 14 days of the appointment. At the select board's January 30th meeting, Curley questioned the appointment of Suzanne Moquin as town accountant. According to Moquin's resume, she was the finance director in Carver for two years after serving nine years as Abington's accountant, finance director, and assistant town manager. At its next meeting on February 6th, the board discussed Waldo's appointment of Beth Piles as town planner, a position created at last April's town meeting. Piles joined the staff in November as conservation agent before taking the planning job at the end of January. Waldo said that Piles, a town planner and land use attorney, was overqualified for the conservation agent position and had been fielding competing town planning offers before accepting the offer in Wellfleet. Curley said on January 30th that he couldn't support the hiring of Moquin and he complained on February 6th that the board had not been apprised of the recruitment process for the town planner position. According to Waldo and several select board members, Curley handed out copies of a news article from the Carver Reporter at the January 30th meeting detailing a delay in free cash certification in Carver and Abington during Moquin's tenures there. According to Waldo, he and the select board received an email two days later from Richard LaFond, the current town administrator in Webster and former town administrator in Abington and Carver. LaFond wrote that there were no concerns among town officials about the delayed certification in Abington, and he was upset by the way the board questioned Moquin's integrity in a public setting. LaFond said that Wellfleet is very fortunate to have a town accountant with extensive knowledge and experience. At the select board's February 6th meeting, Curley questioned whether Pyle's priorities as town planner would align with the select board's goal of improving the town's affordable housing inventory. Select board chair Barbara Carboni, 
who is the town planner and land use council for Truro, told the Provincetown Independent that Pyle's experience was quite analogous to her own. She disputed Curley's proposed line of questioning of Pyle's and said that there's no requirement in the charter for any member of the select board to be involved in interviewing any position. Other select board members accused Curley of overstepping his authority. Board member Michael DeVasto questioned the desire to get involved in the hiring process, and Vice Chair John Wolfe said such discussion made Wellfleet look like an unappealing place to work. Carboni said that Curley's actions were an intrusion into the town administrator's authority and added that neither the town administrator nor the candidate watching the meeting was prepared for the public display. On his last day in office, Waldo said that he was trying to put together a good team before leaving, but that a few board members were trying to self-destruct any progress. Waldo said that the manager needs to manage and that hopefully the board would get that message. At a public hearing of its select board on February 12th, Provincetown Town Manager Alex Morse presented a plan to dissolve the Public Peer Corporation rather than negotiate a new 25-year lease for the peer when the existing one expires in March of next year. Current peer manager Jamie Dimitriou would become a town employee, reporting to Director of Public Works Jim Vincent. The corporation's five-member board of directors would be replaced by a new peer advisory board, and any board members who wanted to continue their service would be eligible for appointment as advisors. The select board endorsed the plan, which will now go before town meeting voters on April 1st. At the hearing, select board members also asked Morse to define the role of the proposed advisory board more clearly before town meeting. Select board chair Dave Abramson advocated for a strong board along the lines of the town's airport commission, while select board member Leslie Sandberg said there needs to be very clear lines of management. Morse said that the advisory board could be patterned after the town's water and sewer board, which oversees a water department that has its own enterprise fund, charges fees to ratepayers, and operates within the Department of Public Works. Morse agreed to bring more detailed plans to the select board before town meeting. Morse and select board members thanked the Peer Corp board members for their service to the town, and said it was their hard work that allowed the group to be dissolved. The Peer Corp has overseen almost $20 million in improvements in the last 24 years, including the installation of floating docks and a wave attenuator. Morse said the 55 fishing vessels based at McMillan bring in $8 million worth of seafood per year. The Peer Corp will be ending with $1.2 million in the bank, and just received an $800,000 Seaport Economic Council grant that will be used to improve security, public safety, and commercial catch uploading. There's a new theater group in Provincetown, and it's dedicated to producing plays written by Cape Codders. Jim Dalglish is president and founder of the nonprofit Helltown Players, and he wants to hear from playwrights across the Cape who are interested in having their work read and possibly produced. 
The playwright's collaborative made its debut on February 8th, staging Little Devils at the Provincetown Theater. Little Devils is a series of six plays written by six of the Helltown Players' trustees. Trustee playwrights include Dalglish, Gary Garrison, Merrill Cohn, Fermin Rojas, Linda Sterner, and Ian Ryan. Other trustees are Margaret Van Zant and John Dennis Anderson. Dalglish said Helltown players will work year-round, and he hopes to see four productions annually. This inaugural show runs until February 18th at the Provincetown Theater on Bradford Street, and then moves to the Academy of Performing Arts on Main Street in Orleans from February 29th through March 10th. Performances are at 7.30 p.m. Thursday through Saturday and 2 p.m. Sunday at both locations. For more information, you can visit helltownplayers.org. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. Do you ever worry about becoming just like your parents, about making their same mistakes? Case in point, my father had his third heart attack on the George Washington Bridge. He wasn't old. In fact, he was a good 20 years younger than I am now, nor was he in a car, but hiking bullheadedly against the wind and driving snow on a day when all of New York City was blanketed in white and the weather anchor of the Today Show implored anyone who could to just stay home. My father certainly could. Staying home from work would unlikely have made any difference, but he insisted on getting up, getting dressed, and going to work, likely following the ingrained advice of his own workaholic father. There were no buses running from Fort Lee into Manhattan, nor were there any taxicabs, and so, wearing only galoshes over his wingtips and a hat that promptly blew into the Hudson River, he began his determined slog straight into the 50-mile-per-hour winds on the upper level of the George Washington Bridge. All of this was recounted later, of course, by my mother after finally making it to the hospital, by the police who found my father face down on the north sidewalk, and in time by my father himself, whose first request upon seeing my mother in the hospital was a cigarette from her purse. I have always had a fear of repeating my father's mistakes, and so I ordered my every conscious decision to avoid becoming a nose-to-the-grindstone drudge who died after his fourth heart attack at age 60. I do not smoke. I work out six days a week. I never considered business as an occupation or wealth as a measure of success. And yet, in a move that was as unthinking as it was reckless, I became the living embodiment of the man. It was during this past week's big storm when the snow started falling at its peak. 
planning in advance for my two o'clock telephone interview. I had taken all my recording equipment home the night before, but discovered at one o'clock that I had left two connector wires at the office. I could, of course, have rescheduled the interview. That's what my wife told me to do, but some voice in my head told me to honor my word, to do my job, and before she could finish the sentence, where the hell do you think you're? I had my boots on and was out the door. The snow was about six inches high in the driveway, but I managed to plow through, fishtail up the hill, slide down the road, and get to the office in time to record the interview. I left for home in a blinding whiteout, barely chugged out of the parking lot and swerved onto Commercial Street ahead of two police cars who were leading the Cape Cod RTA bus up the steep rise to Main Street, which is where my wheels started shimmying and my car spun out of control. With the police lights flashing in my rearview mirror, I hatched a plan to back out of their way, threw the gear shift into reverse and promptly slid into a parked car in front of its angry owner. You might ask if I'm okay, and the answer is, after waiting in the cold for the wrecker truck, making endless apologies, filling out paperwork, and trudging home through the snow, I am. But the better question is, why? Why risk it? Why charge into a dangerous storm? Why not simply reschedule? Because some, if not all of us, unconsciously internalize our models of how to behave from the people we depended on and idolized as children. No matter if they were wise or foolish, no matter how far we had moved away or how many years we lived apart or how our lifestyles differed or, in my case, the fact that my father's long deceased, there are moments when I unthinkingly channel his exact behavior. And when you can't get your old man out of your head, any day is likely to be Father's Day. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Province Down Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher, Jacob Greenberg, and Karen and Joel Shaw for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Stirred Not Shaken with Hank and Andy on listener-supported Outermost Community Radio. WOMR. Young 